0: Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner. I'm Scott Herzog. I'm one of the hosts of the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. And over the years, the Sci-Fi Diner podcast has had the distinct pleasure and privilege of attending a convention in Maryland called the Leave Convention, now going on its 39th year, or 39th convention. And they bring in many guests that are a part of fandom. And... uh, and I've been, been very open to the new media track as we had been, and we were invited there nine years ago by a man named Mike Schilling. And I have Mike Schilling back with us, probably our most returning guest over the years, with us on the Sci-Fi Diner to talk about Shore Leave again, what we have this year, and to also take a journey and look at how fandom has evolved uh, for us as adults over the years and how it's changed from maybe us as kids and all the way up to the present and where it might even go from there. Mike, thank you so much for coming and joining with us here on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast.
1: Well, hello, Scott. It's my pleasure to be back with you again. Hard to believe it's been eight, nine years already we've been doing this. Time sure does get on.
0: Yeah, nine years at, uh, at least. You've been, what, the head of publicity at Shirley Is that kind of uh, your title?
1: Yes, publicity and media relations—just basically the publicity guy—and I've been doing this for a, a good number of years now.
0: Yeah, so it's been it's been so awesome to get you to get to know you personally over the over the nine years, and uh, you know, and for you walking with us, kind of you know, new to this nine years ago when we first interviewed you, and then saying, you know what, come down to the convention, we'll we'll hook you up, we'll we'll get you lined up to talk to some of the. The guests that you bring in and from there it's been well it's been the sci-fi diners journey since then and it's been a pleasure to kind of connect with you over the years so thank you and so much for me, invi- thank you so much for inviting us at very first surely for us
1: well it, believe me it's our pleasure I've, I'm trying to remember how our paths first crossed but it's been a very very good relationship on on both sides we're so happy that you're one of our what I call one of our Usual suspects, (laughs) press regulars, all the different folks who come as members of the press year to year. We know we can count on the Sci-Fi Diner to represent very, very well. And we we count on that. And we very much appreciate all your enthusiasm and all your support for what we try to do at Shore Leave every year.
0: No, no, there's no doubt about that. I'm going to blame Miles for getting us into Shore Leave. Uh, No, we can blame him, huh? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that uh, Miles... uh, Miles had been to either Farpoint or surely a few years before the uh, Sci-Fi Diner even started. And so he had kind of mentioned this on a lark when he came on as a show host. He said, you know, we should, we should visit these conventions. And, uh, and so I just said, I think I sent you an email about, hey, you know, what's the chances of us getting in a press? And then we set up the interview, we talked to you, and uh, it went from there. And it was, uh, it's Miles' fault. So <laughs>
1: Okay. We'll play. I'm afraid I'll have to mention that when I say him.
0: Yeah, if you will, you have to blame him for getting us roped into into shortly. But no, it's been really, when I say roped in, I mean it in the kindest way. It's been a pleasure over the years, and we've got to meet so many awesome people, not just the guests, but the people that we've developed relationships with over the years who just consistently attend these conventions. And I think that's what makes it an awesome experience.
1: Well, that ties in with what I was going to mention anyway. It's hard to believe last year we just got done celebrating 50 years of original Star Trek. I mean, I've literally never known a world that didn't have Star Trek in it as a big part of my life. And now we rolled a calendar over to 2017, and it wasn't long after that when somebody I knew mentioned, hey, this is the 30th anniversary of Next Gen. I go, oh, I'm old anniversary out. Now we got to go through this again. So, naturally, one of our big pushes for obtaining great guest stars this year was with Next Generation in mind, and all those big numbers—50 years, 30 years—you know—kind of when you have the opportunity, make you you know a little bit pensive, and you you start thinking a little bit deeper thoughts about. You know, I can't believe I've been at this for this long. I've been a fan my whole life, and how have I changed, how has fandom changed? It feels like uh, I, <laughs> it feels like that old song, what a long, strange trip it's been, and it continues. So I very much feel, and I mentioned this at a, a panel last year, I think, uh, where I chimed in with basically this just feels like an incredible journey we've been on, and we've been through it together you know, not just the Sci-Fi Diner and, and Shirley, but all all the folks that, you know, we've met down through the years. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit away from the, the media aspect of it, the the autographs and the memorabilia rooms and things like that. And what's really become important to me is, is people like you and your colleagues and all the friends I've known, some of them for just a couple of years, some of them I've known most of my adult life. And I rarely have a chance to really you know, see them except for conventions like Shore Leave. And this is the thing that really, you know, you know, gets me up and going every year. I look forward to seeing these folks all the time. These relationships that you've built up over time in fandom just become more and more important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about fandom and especially maybe um, how that has evolved for us over the over over the years, and how has fandom changed? Obviously, we really only have our personal journeys to look at. Um, but uh, Mike, when, when you were a kid, what was fandom like for you? I mean, how did that? How when you were psyched about you know Star Trek, what did that look like for you?
1: Well, you see, we talked about blaming Miles for getting the sci-fi die involved <laughs> in this. I blame my older brother. Uh, for getting me involved in the Star Trek universe uh, he's ten years older than I am, and when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old, I would sit down in his room and he would show me these interesting things. He would show me blueprints of this ship called the u s s Enterprise, the original Franz Joseph blueprints he would show me all the original James Blish novelizations and the early Star Trek logs by the great Alan Dean Foster. Um, you know he would show me these things and I would start. Sometimes around dinner time, sometime in the middle of the night when it was a hot, humid night in Baltimore, as if there's any other kind, and you know I couldn't sleep, and I turn on t v and at one two in the morning, there'd be an episode of this show called Star Trek on so from an early age, I was already becoming involved in this. Maybe you couldn't say I was necessarily aware of fandom at that point because when you're that age, I mean you're only really aware of what you like and what you don't like. It wasn't until maybe I hit my mid-teen years, at least, when I became aware of these things called conventions and that there were ones taking place in my own neighborhood. Oh, I'd heard things about you know, gatherings up in New York or a really big one that took place in Washington around 76 or 77. But it wasn't until the 80s that I became aware, either through seeing a flyer somewhere sitting on a table or a friend of a friend here overhearing a conversation saying, hey, there's conventions up in Baltimore and such and such a, of a guest is going to be here and save up a little bit of allowance money and, you know, ask the parents to take you, do a little selective begging and pleading as only kids of that age can do and you um find yourself being unleashed into this world where you think you're by yourself basically at that age that you're the only one who likes it and then you enter into this wondrous world this you know like spock said in the classic episode surely like an amusement park you know where people can see and do all sorts of fascinating things i believe the great mister spock said And you you find yourself in this uh, environment where everybody pretty much loves the same thing you do. And, yes, people have different opinions and they have different jobs and they think about things a little bit differently. But in a place like that, it really doesn't matter because you find yourself really enjoying yourself and making all kinds of friends, you know, without really meaning to. And then after it's all over and you feel kind of sad, you say, I can't wait to do this again, to see these guys again, you know. So that's basically how it how it begins. Like you mentioned before, I, I can't speak to everybody. I can only really speak to what happened to me. But from the mid-'80s on, I actually went to my first Shore Leave. I believe it was in 1986. So do the map on that. That was Shore Leave 8, about the only time we were not at the Hunt Valley Inn. We were down in the city at the time, and uh, I had no idea at the time, because I used to go to several conventions back in those days, and it was purely you know, based on what guest was going to be there. I hadn't developed any real loyalty yet at that point in my life, to any one particular convention. But as the years went on, I found myself, you know, being drawn to the organization that put on, surely the Star Trek Association of Towson, when I found out that that's a club that actually meets up in Towson every, you know, every month. And I used to, you know, then I would start going to meetings, and then I found myself being a, a member and then as I built up more time as a member of the organization you know, the people who ran it said well this talker Mike Schilling here hmm what can we give him to do to help you know and so as time wore and wore on heading into the 90's I started helping out around the convention doing a little this little that you know help out an autograph line help out in security you know help out with the video room make sure everything goes smoothly and everything and many, many years later, I was asked to actually join the committee. My first committee job was with um doing uh what was called the video department at that time back mm. in the era and this might be a little bit beyond some of your you know younger listeners, but there was a time when not everybody had everything on tape or disc or could load things you know off of their little screens and their hands and everything and There was no Netflix. you physically had to go out and rent these episodes or In the really early days, when I first started going, you would literally have to rent 16-millimeter, you might remember this, guy. you'd have to go out and rent 16-millimeter copies from the local library. And you Hmm. had to know someone who had a projector, and you would fill a room watching uncut Star Trek episodes that you borrowed from the library and, of course, find some old grainy copy of the uh, blooper reels, as they were called back then, and you would fill a room. Because that was hot stuff back then before everybody had them. That's true. But anyway, so that's just an element of my personal journey. And like I say, as time went on, I found myself becoming uh, more and more involved with the uh, organization. I was shifted over to publicity about eight or ten years ago, and I've been doing that ever since. Uh, so that's just a little piece of my personal journey.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I I think, you know, all of our journeys many times, well, many of our journeys start when we're kids. And you know, I think for me when I first got into any sort of fandom, my my dad was really into baseball. And so we would collect the cards and do all that. And I remember going to a my we are in we we're in Pennsylvania, so we we're huge Phillies fans. I know it's not something to be proud of these days, but um you know, huge <laughs> Phillies fans. Yeah. And then I you know, we we get in line, we get like an autograph line from Mike Schmidt and you know, there's just all that. But my wife my, my wife my, my my dad was also a huge science fiction fan and i remember when i was 6 years old watching on a little black and white television
1: That's a wonderful combination and you're you're so blessed and so lucky that uh you had a dad who not only was um tolerant and enjoying of the science fiction universe but was also a a sports fan at the same time yeah you see i was my situation was somewhat different i've encountered a lot of people in my life who would say well, if you're a sports fan, you must not like that geeky science fiction stuff, too, because that makes you a nerd, and people right. like baseball, well, they're jocks, and never the twain shall meet, right? Right. But what happened in my house was, my dad was a huge sports fan, okay? And uh, down here, of course, we're a big Orioles and Ravens neighborhood down here, and and basically that, that consumed a big part of, of his life, it was his great passion and all, and... Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that he was a fan, per se, of science fiction, but he would watch it and take enjoyment in it. Why? Because his kids enjoyed it. That's why. He could have easily said, you're not going to watch that stuff in my house. But no, the man that he was, he's been gone for like 25 years now, but... The man that he was, uh, anything that made his kids happy, he would go along with it, or at least he would fake interest. And right. there were many actors in the original Star Trek that he enjoyed. He knew DeForest Kelly from all the westerns that he'd been in. Uh, he'd known of uh, Jimmy Dewan, He'd seen William Shatner in movies. So he liked the fact that we liked it, too. So such shows and such you know, belief in things was definitely encouraged in our house. And yeah. So the, the combination of a love of sports and a love of science fiction is sometimes a rarity. These days, and I think uh, that we were both very lucky that we had homes that not only allowed it but actually encouraged it. It allowed us to have our eggs in more than one basket, socially, so to speak. Yeah,
0: my dad, you know, the jewel. As I was saying, you know, that I remember watching with him, like uh, Jules Verne, of Mysterious Island. You know, in black and white, uh, and and being so terrified of the bees that were like sealing in the people into the honeycombs, and and uh, and. And so he had this love of it. And even when Star Wars came out, um, he didn't watch *Shrek* that I know of. He never talked about it. And for a while, we didn't even have a television in the house. So my science fiction came mostly through book form. However, when I was a kid in like fourth or fifth grade, soon after Star Wars came out, the first one, they were visiting people in the Star Wars franchise, I guess, were visiting schools. And I remember at one point, our school our elementary school getting Kenny Baker to come with the R2 the R2D2 and i was fascinated by that like that was really it that was <laughs> and i was like so stoked by this um and do you remember when you were a kid writing letters to like your your, your the the stars and and getting maybe an autograph picture back or something well i wasn't really into getting that many autographs
1: unless it was at some kind of a official gathering like okay. a convention or a book signing or something like that i remember maybe two or three times when i was in my teens uh, somehow i you know i acquired some kind of a, a you know somehow i found a couple of addresses to send autograph requests off to and i remember getting actually a few of them back but some of them took six months to a year oh yeah whether or not to get back um, so I didn't really do it that many times. I used to really be into the autograph part of it when I was in my teens and 20s. That's fallen a little bit by the wayside in recent years as I've become more interested in actually talking to them as, as people. There's nothing wrong with autograph collection. Um, you know, It can really connect you personally with someone you've watched and admired for many, many years. I think as the prices have gone up and up, and up and up. Yeah. They'll get me started. Over these last several years, uh, folks who, you know, have family budgets, you know, don't we all, that we have to deal with say, yeah, let's see, either food on the table or one autograph. Food on the table. I think I'll go with the food. Yeah. So sometimes you've got to <laughs> let these things go. Oh, you know but, it. Um, but anyway, so except for actual, you know, one or two at a convention, I really don't do it anymore. But there was a time when when I would, you know, get them and I'd put them in a binder or two in the house. And I'd, I'd pull it out every so often and say, oh, I remember when I met this person, they were so nice. And, oh, this person was kind of expensive, but he was so nice. And this one was eh and all that. And it, it sure brings back a flood of memories. So the old autograph books have not thickened much in the last 10 years for various reasons, but there was definitely a time when I was uh, into it. What's weird is, you mentioned uh, looking to get a lot of sports autographs. Um, as much as my whole family is, is sports fanatics, you know, but collected very, very few sports autographs, which is very, very strange. I I guess I just never really, you know, I guess I was just too lazy to hang out in the proper places and wait for them to come out and ask them, you know, or stand in hours, you know, long lines, you know, just to, to get a signature and all. Maybe I just didn't have the patience for it. I don't know. No, that because might be. there's no such thing as conventions. Yes, there are card shows and, and things like that, and we have a thing down here for the uh, – you know, Orioles called Fan Fest in, in January or February every year. And, you know, you buy autograph tickets and everything. And, of course, it's a long line, but that's very popular. But So there's very limited opportunities for, um, for such things. But, yeah, yeah that's kind of weird now that I think about it. That I never really got into sports autographs the way I did collecting pretty much the autograph of anybody who had anything to do with Star Trek or, or other science fiction shows that I have admired down through the years.
0: You know it's funny the uh the only autograph that I can recall collecting sports wise is that Mike Schmidt autograph and he was in the area you well, somebody he, to get. <laughs> yeah, he was like he was like 5 minutes that's away. That's the food chain right there. Right, right, exactly. And um what's funny about and I agree with you like for me when I go to the conventions there are times in some conventions more recently that I have not gotten one autograph. And and, and I've been fine with that. Um, right, and yeah, is I,
1: that because of the, the prices going up the way they are? Is it because you say eh, you know, I'm just not interested the way I once was, you know? There's a number of factors why you can right. simply stop, you know? Right,
0: and you know what, it is, and you're right, I think partially it's price, because certainly, I mean, over the past 10 years, autographs have gone, you know, through the roof, that's certainly part of it, but even times when they say, well, you can bring something and they'll just sign it for free, at times I'm well, just... Well, it con- depends. Yeah. It
1: literally depends actor yeah. to actor right. because they've all got different agreements and everything. Right. That's why you have to basically check that little sign they usually put on their, their table and everything. Yeah. Some will charge to have your picture taken with them. Some won't. Some will yeah. sign the uh, program book for free. You just have to check. You check yeah. on the website and you check with the actor's um, associate who's usually sitting uh right next to them all the way through the uh weekend and all yeah. but yeah everybody's different but unfor- unfortunately a lot of commerce has Gotten into this, and this is true of other sorts of conventions as right, well. Right, uh, I've been known, especially in you know, ten to twenty years ago, up until more recent years, used to go to a lot of uh, horror conventions, for example, and they've got the same problems. Twenty years ago, you'd go, and hardly anybody would ever charge because a lot of the older actors were so happy that anybody wanted their autograph <laughs> that if you got charged anything, it would be the cost of the picture. Right. Boom. But now, once one person starts charging, they all have to have the same thing, and it just snowballs. snowballs. Yeah. I'm not blaming anyone in particular, but uh, that's just the way it's gone. Yeah.
0: Well, you know uh, the the whole autograph thing. The one the one impact that it has had in my life is because especially the early years of going to Shorely, far point and other conventions, we gathered a bunch of autographs. I would many times scan. We, we would get them to give away on the sci-fi diner podcast in the past. And then what I would do is I would just like scan a copy of it and then print it out. And and I would just post them in my schoolroom. And every year I have kids that are mesmerized by this. And it gives me an opportunity to talk to them about some of the people I've met and interviewed and, uh, and it gives me a connection with them that I wouldn't have if I didn't have those autographs sitting in the back corner of my room. So
1: it, Well, it also allows you to show off a little bit, too. I guess. When you're a young fella growing up of that age, it's pretty important to stand out in some way. I'm no sociologist, but
0: yeah, that's sure. pretty
1: obvious. You get to a certain age, and you want to be able to relate to other guys that might impress them some way. And unless you're gifted athletically, or something like that, where they, ooh and ah, right? Right. You, you need to have, a guy needs to have something else in his life that makes the other guy say, hey, this guy's cool. He did such and such. He met such and such.
0: You right, know? right. And
1: it definitely builds up your ego, that, that's <laughs> for sure. But <laughs> like know, I said you, before, oftentimes with me, I, I'll look at those old autographs, and I'll, you know, it, it comes flooding back to you. say, oh, I remember when I got that, and that was such a great show. And all that speaking of memories, and I don't know if it's too off the topic, uh, I was trying to get my trek on, so to speak. I always tried to get in a Star Trek frame of mind when we hit those last precious weeks for the convention and I was uh driving um you know back to get ready for this interview and everything, and I just had to be listening to my Star Trek Two soundtrack in the car oh and and uh, yeah, I recently picked up the expanded version that Entrada's had out for a while, those you know expanded. Uh, Star Trek movie soundtracks they put out and I've got some of them and that's one of my favorites and I can clearly remember the original Star Trek 2 LP you know I think I must have ran that into the ground I ran it so much back in 82, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, etc, cetera, etc cetera. one of my all-time favorite soundtracks And but the reason why I mention it is and I, of course you shouldn't be distracted when you're when you're driving of course right, but when you're listening right. to something that makes you that emotional in the car All those memories of seeing it in the theater with my dad back in 1982 came flooding back. And that ties into that journey
0: that we were talking
1: about. Because I can remember who I was with. I can remember where I saw it. I can even remember as the Enterprise limped away towards the end of the uh, movie, and I was about, you know, kind of just set off the Genesis device. I was counting down four minutes of detonation, and the Enterprise is limping away. And I can, you know, remember calling out to the screen, come on, Enterprise, move. And I never really shout out at the screen. That's just not me. I'm usually a good little boy when I sit in the theater. But, you know, that's the kind of a raw emotion that movie engendered with me. And that music, that's why I started collecting movie soundtracks back when Star Wars came out, you see, because in the era before everybody had these at home, and it was so easy to watch them whenever you wanted, let alone on a little tiny screen in your hand, you know, like people do today. I still don't know how folks are able to watch a movie on a little hand screen, but anyway. Um, But that's just part of that journey, and I clearly remember you know, I can't begin to tell you, you know, what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can tell you who I was with when I watched Star Trek two and how it made me feel and how it pretty much made everybody feel. Hmm. And, you know, and I was just thinking about some, you know, memories. We've accumulated memories. We, we as fans, we've accumulated stories, you know, from the earliest memories. You know, I'm thinking back to the 70s. I mean, I was real little then, but I clearly remember right. my older brother, the one I told you about. Well, he would be one of the original fans who would write letters trying to get them to make a movie. That's I've awesome. even seen, it's been years and years, but I've seen copies of some of these letters that he would write off to Paramount, saying, you know, this is such a great idea and you've got to make a movie of this and all that. So he was part of that original group because I was just really little then, right. so I couldn't appreciate it what the original generation of fans did see i came into it i think you're a little bit younger than me i came into it when the syndication run was going on in the seventies You know, i'd be the one who would be uh... watching it at dinner time on channel forty five in baltimore or the equivalent dc channel channel five down there back when you had independent channels before fox came along All right, and you know, I would be watching it then, or sometimes in the middle of the night, and that's how it all started uh, for me. And then you have all the the movies of the eighties. When you have fifty years of, of history and lots of ups and lots of downs, and you make new friends, you lose friends along the way. Uh, that's that's life, and that's uh, fandom's a very much you know a big part of that. And you know, I appreciate the uh, journey because to me work is important. I mean, we, we all take work very, very seriously, but I don't really think it should define us as people. You, you've got to have a little fun in this life, and if part of your enjoyment is, is enjoying science fiction, be it Star Trek or another form, um, you know, I don't see any real real problem with that. I think it, you know, makes us all generally happier and better adjusted, and You know, it gives us something to to look forward to and friends to look forward to seeing and not just another day of of work or another bill to pay when you get home, right? Right. You know, so, you know, that might have been slightly off the subject, but I really felt the need to to bring that up because I was listening to my music and, you know, and just having those thoughts of late. And I wanted to see if I could maybe get that across to you and see if maybe that can make some folks in your, some of your listeners kind of go, hmm, Because maybe they might have a very similar viewpoint. I have a question for you, Mike. Fandom journey that we're
0: on. Yeah, I have a question for you. When you listen to when you listen to your soundtracks, like the LP that you had, when you listen to that, is that something you just you put it on, you sat back, and you just kind of immersed yourself into it? Did you have it on as a background as you were studying? I mean. How did, it, how did you experience soundtracks? Because many times... No, not na- 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 not
1: ma- really like when I was studying. I know a lot of, of guys who these days who can just crank it up and they say it doesn't bother them at all. But me, you see, movie soundtracks, it all started for me with Star Wars in 1977. It was my dad, again, who first told me about how you can buy a movie's music in a a record store. That was a completely mind-blowing idea to me at the time. right, Star Wars was my first, and all the way through the 80s, all the way through the 90s, it kind of slowed down to a crawl, really, after 2000, for various reasons, but... It got away from symphonic music and more towards rock soundtracks. There just weren't nearly as many interesting soundtracks to buy, in my opinion. But you see, what I would do in the era before everybody had these movies, and you could pop them on any time in any form you wanted to, that was a way for me to relive that experience. So I would, usually in my room, you know, with my... Called integrated systems back then. You'd buy these four, five, six, you know, pieces and these big speakers in this little house and crank it up, you know, and I'd be pretending I'd be conducting the London Symphony Orchestra or something, but I either could become, you know, you know, act like I'm conducting, or I would just sit there in my room with my eyes closed and relive those moments in my head over and over again. So no matter where I am, if I hear a particular piece of music, I know what that's from. I know who composed it. I know what record it's from. I know, you know, where I was when I saw it and all those feelings that come along with it, okay? And I still very much feel that way. Um, So that's what I did, you know, years and years ago when I was living uh, at home. Now, you know, when I got married and started a family and got my own place and everything, that all basically switched to listening to such things on CD in the car usually back and forth from, from work. Now, of course, you can't, you're can't, you not supposed to close your eyes. That would not be good. But uh, So even though that part is out when you're in the car, I still can get pretty emotional, you know, listening to such things because the memories hold, you know. They're very much a big part of, of the experience I've had, you know, and the, the relationships I've built up over years. I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say they define who I am, but they're a, there is definitely a part of that, because that's part of our shared experience, and I've always become very, very you know, emotionally tied into the movie and the music experience of it all. And that's true for Star Trek, and that's true for lots of other forms of entertainment too. You know, so yeah, that 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 was basically a very uh, emotional thing for me. And although I can't devote quite the same time to it as I once did. Uh, it still can definitely have a, an emotional effect on me, no doubt about
0: it. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that there's certain soundtracks and even certain pieces that evoke the emotion of the moment, and it's it's one of the beauties one of the beauties of a good soundtrack is that it'll pull you right in, and it plays into helping develop those special moments um, where the Genesis device or whatever it is, you know, that that really that really grabs us and, and, and evokes an emotion. So I think that, I think you're right on when you say it. And I think that's a part of our fandom journey. I mean, the idea of getting into the music is a part of us immersing ourselves into the culture of, of, of fandom. So, how you
1: so- yeah, last year I was fortunate enough. I think it was last year where, um, my brother and I went to see that, um, you may have heard about it, the star Trek ultimate voyage, that concert. Yes. That was traveling. Yes. Around yeah, the absolutely. And, uh Went to see it in Baltimore at, uh, I believe it was the uh, Modell Lyric uh, we had down here. And it was a, a very wonderful experience. Just absolutely loved it. And of course, I had to buy the soundtrack. I guess you could figure that out. (laughs) So I've been listening to that double soundtrack pretty much ever since. You know, it's not quite like the original version. Of course, it's a different conductor and a different group of musicians. But they do a very fine job with it. They have a great mix from all the different forms of Star Trek down through the years and everything. So, yeah, even though I, you know, I said this ticket might be costly, but I don't care. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to do it, you know. 50th anniversary we got to do it and so yes it was an extremely emotional experience sitting there and everything so uh, and i'm not uh, embarrassed to say that it was
0: well and i think that that goes that, that again speaks to the power of the soundtrack is the, the power that music has in helping us create the memory the, the memories helping us fall in love with the franchise that we've fallen in love with certainly that's a part of that um so let me ask you, let me flip this question. We talk about how fandom has changed over the years, at least a little bit. How has fandom changed you as a person, as an individual?
1: Wow. Yes. <laughs> Where's the psychology? I know. Yeah,
0: I know. Exactly.
1: Uh, I may not be the most uh, objective person well, a question like this, but I'd like to think that I'm better as a person because of my relationships. Uh, that I've created through following Star Trek. You see, I'm not going to say that Star Trek gave me everything, you know, outside of my own family, of course, but I will say that a lot of my friendships, a lot of the people I know, a lot of the things that I care about outside of work and, you know, my own...
0: Hmm? Yeah, I'm here. I just got a message. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Uh, That's what the editing base That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, whoa, what happened? Um... Of a duck walked in there all of a sudden. Anyway, um, what was I saying a second ago?
0: Oh, you were saying about how uh, the friends that you made, et cetera.
1: Oh, yes, yes. Sorry about that. Um, a lot of the friends that I've made, the associates, you know, uh, both personal and business associates, um, you know, the um, types of folks that I that I've met and everything, the the things I've been allowed to do, both on just with the club or the committee, you know, be it just helping out with various departments or when I got into the video department, eventually switched over to publicity and all. The the people, well, well, like you, you know, and the rest of the guys over at um, you know, at the Sci-Fi Diner. I mean, would I really have had the chance? To meet, you know, such good people as you and your associates if I wasn't involved with Shore leave in some way? I mean, it's possible, but kind of unlikely, right? right. So it's, you know, these are all good things uh, for me. So, you know, so basically the, the, a lot of the things that, that I do and the, the things that I care about and the people that I care about, most important of all, um, in either directly or indirectly, have a a direct correlation to my following Star Trek and all its various forms and uh, the fandom that goes along with it. So yeah, there are other things you know, in one's life. There's the career you're trying to maintain, there's a marriage, you know, that you you know, that you maintain raising children and maintaining a home and paying the bills and dealing with parents and family members and all the million little things that are happening around the world that, that weigh you down and you try to deal with and lead the best life you possibly can, and that's why I mentioned before about how important it is to have these little, you know, distractions that to some might seem to be incredibly unimportant as far as the world going around is concerned, but I think from a a psychological health standpoint and a sociological standpoint are incredibly important. You know, some people, it's just sports. Some people, it's uh, collecting dolls. Some people, it's collecting uh, Coca-Cola tin signs. I mean, everybody does something that they do with their time and their money, and some are more constructive than others. And I find, you know, so with me, a, a big part of it is following the Star Trek universe. And, you know, I, I, so just to sort of summarize all that, yes, I do feel that it has helped me a great deal because... You know, like I say, most of the people I've known and a lot of the things that I do are directly or indirectly related to that. So I'd, I'd like to think that it has helped a great deal and will continue to help me a great deal as long as I'm physically able to do it and as long as they'll have me around help.
0: Well, you know, and certainly is uh, important, as you said, in establishing friendships. I know for myself, the way it's impacted me has been to put me in contact in, 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 in relationship with people like Miles and M and, and and like you and many other people that I met over the years at the conventions. And up till the time that I began, po- I think podcasting even gave me a voice into that. Before, it was kind of an isolated thing. I talked to my brother about it and it was a lot of literature based, but it kind of helped fuel, fuel my passion for science fiction. And, and, and to say that this is a valid, this is something that is valid and is just as important as, you know, Super Bowl Sunday to me. Uh, and not that I don't like watching Super Bowl Sunday, but it's just a it's a different way that I can geek out about something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And
1: um Right. And a lot of folks, you know, get either what I like to tell folks when I'm, you know, in, in interviews or just generally talking to people about it, I say either you quote unquote get it or you don't. Some people get it and and some people don't. I mean, I don't say it's necessarily right or wrong, but that's just how it is. I mean, you know, I, no matter what, you know, how much you, you try to talk about some, about how important it is and what it's meant to your life and all the positive, you know, part of it, there are going to be some, you know, about, you know, or Star Trek or just regular, you know, just any kind of form of science fiction or genre entertainment might say, that oh, it's a waste of time and that's geeky stuff, and I don't want to be like that, and I got more important things to do with my time. And I say, oh, You just don't understand, do you? I'm always trying to, and I usually say this for the end, but I always try to tell folks who have never been to a shore leave or might have been on the fence and never quite got around to it for various reasons. I say, Give it a try. Get a one day membership, one day. And I almost guarantee you you are going to find something that you're going to like, and I even more guarantee you, you're going to make some friends there, even though you weren't really looking for any, because that's just the kind of event that it is, and that's the kind of strong feelings that it engenders. Yeah. So, you know, I always try to tell folks that, give it a chance, you know? I mean, one of the greatest pleasures I've had since I've had this position with Shirley is, you yeah, know, not necessarily, you know, cornering people and bothering them, but Listening to people when they say, yeah, over here people say, oh, this is my first shore leave and I had no idea it was this much fun and I can't wait till next year and you guys run a great show and, you know, had a really great time and I hope you keep on doing it. Well, you know, it's a, it means a great deal to us. Because remember, we're all volunteers. We never get paid a single dime for what we do. We, ha- we have to be doing this for other reasons. And to hear such kind words from so many people – from so many different walks of life and so many experiences, almost all with university-positive things to say. I mean, there's always gripes here and there. There's always little problems here and there that we try to fix year to year. Nothing's ever perfect. But to hear so many positive things and people say nice things about what you put your heart into, it, it you know, it really puts a big smile on your face. And I think that's really why, not just me, but all my colleagues in the convention committee and with the club in general who help out. This is why we do it. We do it because we love star Trek. We do it because we love fandom and what it's meant to us, you know, and we do it because people say such nice things when we put in such hard work year to Yeah, you. No doubt. So. Well,
0: you mentioned that, you know, people should just try shore leave and, and, you know, that kind of brings us, you know, maybe full circle into talking about a little bit about shore leave itself. There are obviously, as we mentioned, many reasons to go to the conventions, not only the guests that draw us in, but the friendships that we develop over the years. Um, This year is the 39th year of Shore Leave and also and also and also the um, the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. What's going to be what's going on at Shore Leave that that we can be looking forward to as we get excited and ramped up for this year's Shore Leave?
1: Well, what don't people have to look forward <laughs> to? I mean, how much time do we still have? Anyway, well, like I say, this is the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation, so we made a very strong effort to get top-notch uh, guests to headline this year's show. Uh, so, And this is pretty much the first guest we got, maybe you know, fairly, not the first, but very early in the process. We got both Michael Dorn and Marina Sirtis to agree to join us this year okay so we're and I have always heard even from the time that next generation was on the air that those two were basically best friends so I don't know if we're going to be on stage together or separately yet because the the actual schedule hasn't been completed yet but I've heard they've always been you know an absolute riot together so um, that's going to be something that we're really going to look forward to I don't think I've seen either of them since next gen was on the air or right after It was on the air, and they were working on Generations at the time. And so we're talking literally over 20 years since they, quote-unquote, did the convention circuit, you know, in this part of the country. So those were our two headliners right there. Now, we have another very special guest star, our first-ever Big Bang Theory guest, Mr. Kevin Sussman. Okay. Okay? And he plays Stuart Bloom on that show. Uh, Considering the incredible popularity of Big Bang Theory and how many years it's been on the air. I think, what, 10 or 12 right. now that it's been on the air. It's amazing we haven't had the opportunity to have a Big Bang Theory guest. So this will be something really different for surely, but I'm very anxious to see uh, what kind of uh, level of enthusiasm he gets and you know what kind of uh, autograph line he gets and how people uh, react to him. So we're very excited about that because Big Bang Theory is a big mainstream show. Uh, that is still running, and that is a relative rarity uh, to have a, a you know a main guest from a show that's currently running like that. So that'll be a first for us. Now, um, from the world of Battlestar Galactica, okay, the reboot that is, we have two actors that are extremely well known from that series, uh, Mr. Michael Hogan and Ms. Luciana Caro, will be joining us from Battlestar Galactica this year. I have heard of Michael Hogan and going to conventions in past years. He's been very popular, so we're very, very happy to have him. Um, and we also seem to have a lot of guests from a show called Dark Matter. Are you familiar with Dark Matter? I am.
0: Matter? It's not a show that I personally watched, but I know that Miles and M are both passionate watchers of that show.
1: Okay. i um, give you a little uh, advanced tip here. On the program book uh, that I've seen an early um, draft of the cover, uh, our artist has done a spectacular job again this year. Besides having the Enterprise D for obvious reasons. Uh there's no, I've seen another ship on there and people say, What's that? And I say, that's the dark matter. It looks a little bit like the uh Galactica's matter of fact, only smaller. But uh that ship I think is going to be on our uh cover as well of our program book. Anyway, we do seem to have three guests who are of course known for many other genre roles but uh, all seem to have that one thing in common. They've all had roles in Dark Matter. Uh, Ms. Jodel Furland, who has also been seen in shows like Stargate Atlantis and Supernatural. Uh, Mr. Mark Ben David, uh, who's also been in the shows Bitten and Degrassi, The Next Generation, another TNG show. And a Mr. Mike Dopud, who also has been in Stargate SG-1 and the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. So we have a bit of a dark matter reunion going on here. So as in past years, we have quite an eclectic mix of different actors from different genres. and That's pretty much the way we like it here at Shore Leave. There was a time when we primarily concentrated on purely Star Trek guests, but as time went on and the super conventions came along out west and everything, um, where there were more and more and more guests all the time, we said uh, we've got to adapt, right? So uh, over the course, I think it was in the '90s, we finally adapted to start uh, bringing in other actors from other shows, and that is what's um, you know popular right now. So we have a lot of representation. Of course, there's always next, you know, there's Star Trek front and center. We have Big Bang Theory, we have the Galactica people, and we have the uh, character actors uh, also. You know, best known for their roles in Dark Matter right now. And those are just what I call, quote-unquote, above-the-title actors, the actor guests that draws people's attention. I didn't even have a chance, really, to mention the approximately 40 writer guests that we've already got in the books and there's simply no time to go through the entire list with you right now. But let's just say all the writers that you've come to expect that come to surely year-to-year are planning to be here, plus a handful more that you probably haven't seen before. So we have all the writer guests, we have all the artist guests, that, you know, I'm sorry, all the scientist guests uh, that we usually have, including a gentleman, I believe his name is C. Alex Young, yes, that's his name. The reason why I mention him is because there's supposed to be a solar eclipse going on on August 21st. That a lot of people are talking about, a very rare one for this part of the country. And uh, he is actually going to give a talk about how to see this eclipse safely. Um, he might even have some materials with him to help in that regard. So I think that's a talk that's going to be very, very popular. Uh, our artist guest of honor this year is, I believe, Todd Brugmans, who's uh, doing our program book for us and also did a spectacular job last year. Okay? Uh, so he's coming as well. Um, so sometimes it seems like we have more guest stars and, and actors and and you know writers and scientists than anything else. I'm not where they find room for all these people, but but uh, we we squeeze them in somehow, you know. So um, so basically, I could easily say everybody's coming to Shoreline, yeah. you know. So these are the um, guest stars that I can mention at least for right now. that are coming to
0: Shoreline. Well, you know,
1: and it's not too early to start thinking about the big four right. O next year. I know that our members of our committee are already, you know, rolling around the back of our heads. Let's, you know, see what we can do to really do something spectacular for next year. But, of course, there'll be no announcements about that until after the holidays, probably. But believe me, we're already thinking ahead to the big four zero yeah. next July. Uh, before I forget, uh, we are still at the uh, Hunt Valley Inn. It was Marriott for a long, long time. Last year it became a Wyndham Grand. But now it's been sold back to Marriott. So the sign uh, when you guys get here will probably say Marriott Delta. So the Hunt Valley Inn is now a Marriott Delta hotel, at least for this year. And um, <laughs> so who knows what it'll be next year, but that's what it is now. But don't worry, it's still on the, lo- the same location as Yeah, before.
0: and you know, one of the things that as you were going through the, the variety that you have at Surely is, again, you, you mentioned earlier that there's that's that if you come there, you're going to find something you enjoy. And maybe it's not the big-name guest, but maybe you're into writing your own uh, sort of fiction and there's there's seminars and there's authors to meet and then the scientific and the artistic end of it there's a lot that goes on in Shore Leave just beyond the big name guests. Sure, the big name guests—they're the ones that typically draw a lot of people in. But if you aren't into that, there's a lot of other things to see and do, even gaming.
1: That's absolutely right. What I tell people, pardon me, especially if they're fairly new to the convention universe, um, grab your program book, get your pocket program. Find a corner, all right, grab a pen and just go through that schedule. And you are gonna very rapidly find yourself wishing there were three, four, five <laughs> of you. Because there can be as many as a dozen tracks of programming going on simultaneously, especially on Saturday. Okay? And you know, it just is not possible to see and do all the things you want to do. For years and years, I've been angry at myself because I want to see more of the science guest talk. But there always seems to be some kind of a scheduling problem. I run across a friend I haven't seen in a year. We wind up talking for 45 minutes, and I say, no use going over there now to see five minutes. So it never seems to work out because you know, there's just not enough time to do everything. But I guarantee there is something... For every kind of fan's taste, if you like guest stars and autographs, it's definitely there. We've got the autograph sessions, we've got the Q and A sessions, we've got the photo op sessions on Saturday. If you like hanging around the dealers' rooms, they're certainly—I believe—they're sold out again this year, so that's all full. You can spend your time looking for that one special item going through there, no problem. If gaming is your thing, as time has gone on, you know more and more, and it's become more and more in the. You know, the limelight. You can, I literally know, especially younger people who spend their entire weekend in the gaming room. You never see them anywhere else. They're in the gaming room all weekend. Then you've got the the showings of the fan films and everything. That's in another room. Uh, One of my personal favorite things is the panels are going on all weekend. And you know me, I have no trouble either sitting in or contributing to panels whenever there's ideas flying back and forth. So that's going on all weekend. You can spend most of your time in there. Um you know, you've got the art show and auctions going on. You've got charity events going on. Uh there are all kinds of workshops and this is something that comes together in these last couple of weeks before the convention. There's not only writing, like you know, workshops, you know, either for young people or for more advanced writers and everything going on, but you got things like stargazing workshops on Friday and Saturday night. Uh, one of our writers, Keith DeCandido, he loves to give like self-defense workshops and everything. Um, that's become popular in the last couple of years. Um, so all these workshops are going on, um, and I could just go on and on. So there's all kinds of different opportunities to do things you enjoy, and of course, there's all the things with the writers. We have this party on Friday night called Meet the Pros, 10 to 12 at night. Um, It's where pretty much all of our writers sit at all these tables in the main hallway, and they've got their books there with them, they'll sign their books, they'll talk to you and everything. It's a great opportunity for them to network with each other, you know, to meet fans who want to know more about them and to read their work. And, hey, it's great for business because they sell a lot of books, too. So that's a big party if you're more, you know, on the literary bench. So that's going on. So, uh, and that's just some of the things. I'm sure right after, you know, we get done, I'll think of ten other things I should have mentioned, you know. But these are just, um, you know, some of the choices that you have uh, when you come to, to Shore Leave, especially on Saturday, because, of course, that's by far the busiest day. But, um, but, yeah, a great, great many choices. That's why I tell folks, try to plan out your weekend. But no matter how well you plan it, don't forget that Shirley never wants to be so big as, you know, where you can't have that connection with other people. Because no matter how busy and how energetic the crowd is, it is always best sometimes to just let that go, find somebody that you haven't seen for a long time, and you just find a quiet corner somewhere, you find the the main hallway, you you find the... um, You know, the corners where they set up chairs and everything, or in the uh, outer paddock bar and everything where there are lots of tables and chairs, just sit down and talk and get caught up with people, you know? Sometimes I've literally let other things like that go just for the sake of talking to friends and everything, Hmm. you know? So, you know, so for those who are planning on doing Shore Leave and you think you might have other people you know there, don't forget to find time somewhere by hook or by crook to actually sit down and just talk to people, you know, and you're going to find yourself glad, you know, glad
0: that you did. And I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's important for you to kind of connect because the guests, the people change every year that come, but the the friendships that you can make over that time is... It's really what will keep you coming back I think um you mentioned uh surely happening and uh do we mention the weekend I want to make sure that we mention the weekend and and how people and how people can go about nice, and it? how people can <laughs> go about acquiring memberships as they call them to get into the convention
1: all right. Well, there's still uh, quite a bit of room left. We're not, um, you know, sold out the way that we did that one year when William Shatner came that Saturday and the place filled up. (laughs) But we're on July 7th, 8th, and 9th at the Hunt Valley Inn, Marriott Delta, in Hunt Valley, Maryland, which is at 245 Shawan Road, Hunt Valley, Maryland, 21031, right off I-83, okay, just north of Baltimore, Okay. Uh, let's see here. And as far as memberships are concerned, now pre-registration cuts off the June fifteenth. Okay. Um, so if this is edited and put out there before then, you can go on our official website www.shoreleave.com s h o r e dash l e a v e dot com. Okay. And pre-register that way. If you hear this after that deadline passes. Uh, I am reasonably certain that memberships, we don't really call them tickets, we call them memberships, are going to be available at the door. But if you come uh, to do it that way, especially on Saturday, try to get there early try to get there at least a half hour before it officially opens. All the information regarding when it actually opens is on the website, okay? I cannot emphasize enough checking out the website because as we get closer and closer to the convention, those postings and updates are going to come more and more quickly You know, regarding any changes, any additions to the schedule, workshops that are being added, a last minute reminder of what kind of program we're going to have, so keep checking the website. But, yeah, if you're going to come for single-day or weekend memberships, try to get there at least a half hour before it officially opens because that line can get a little bit long. And people, of course, have to fill out their name and address, and it's a process. So please don't think if programming starts at 10 a.m., you're going to get there at 9.59 and be in the room at 10.01. It is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Definitely trust not. Trust me, okay? But, yeah, account for the time that it's going to take to to register and then go ahead and, and start planning wow. out your day and everything. So, But yes, there there is room. Saturday, of course, is the busiest of the day. If you don't like big crowds, you might want to decide on going on Sunday instead of Saturday because i found that even though the day is basically over by 6, 6.30 at night, pretty much all the actors who are there on Saturday are also there on Sunday. We try to squeeze as much original programming as we can into Sunday to make that a precious hour's to be a lot of fun for people, so if you want to not have quite the the same number of people and the same, you know, the same crowds, you might want to consider Sunday, but yeah, if you don't make the June 15th deadline for acquiring, you know, advanced memberships, at a slightly discounted price, then you might just want to go at the door, but and the uh, registration tables are always at the bottom of the escalators. You go in the main entrance, you go down the escalator, and it's right there, right in front of you. You just can't miss it. And if you can't find it, there are plenty of people around wearing convention badges and committee badges. I'd be more than happy to direct yeah, you. And I would
0: say this out. about the uh, Shoreleaf staff. I've found over the years that they, people are extremely helpful. And I think the community at all overall, the science fiction community in general, is really helpful. But I think at Shore Leave, you have a lot of good help, people that are willing to point you in the right direction and, uh, and just help you get around. So,
1: Well, thank you. That's because pretty much all the people that, that have been doing this have been in their positions for a long time. I've known a lot of people, many of them who sadly are no longer with us, who literally from the very first days I knew them, to the end, stayed in that one position all through the year. So people always knew yeah. what they were going to get. They knew yeah. what they could count on. And in an era when uh, so many long-time conventions are falling by the wayside, and I always like to say this, um, I don't want to toot our own horn too much because there are many other wonderful, wonderful conventions out there that do their thing. But um, we must be doing something right because in a time when conventions are, are falling away and and all that but somehow Shore Leave just keeps on going like the Energizer Bunny, and I feel that as long as there are people who want us to do this, and we are physically able to to do this, we all get older, you know. But as long as there's people willing to put in all that time and all that all that passion, all that labor of love into doing Shore Leave, then I hope it can it can keep on going because it's meant so much, yeah, to so absolutely. many of us.
0: Well, Mike, hey, I appreciate you taking an hour of your day just to chat about the experience of fandom, but also just to, you know, reiterate again, your love of the Shore Leave convention itself, and I appreciate you taking time to chat with us again.
1: Oh, believe me, you're very, very welcome. I always look forward to it every year, and I look forward to seeing you guys just a little bit down the road.